Hey there, my name is Dan. My name is Joshua, and, and we, we are, are the, the Unauthorized, Unauthorized Critics, Critics Circle. Circle. Now, Joshua, tell the listener what we do here at the UCC. With pleasure. Here at the UCC, we review theater... With the normal bitcheries and qualms... By watching the video recordings... From questionable origins... Of various productions. This week, we are talking about the Broadway production of Shuffle Along, or the making of the musical sensation of 1921 and all that followed. Specifically, the performance from June 24th, 2016. The in its entirety is not as accessible as some of our other episodes have been, but the internet is chock full of footage and... We're all rather well connected. Go find go find yourself a copy of Shuffle Along. We mention this because while we review the show itself, we also talk about the specific performance we've seen. Scott Rudin is not your friend, darling. Oh shit, was that not the line? The internet? Yeah. The internet is your friend, darling. So, without further ado, the curtain is now rising. I think they're tapping so fast because they're trying to get away from the producer. Please enjoy our discussion of the Broadway it's a production. Rumor. Of not substantiated. <laughs> That's not the full title. Oh, sorry. You wanted me to talk about Shuffle Along or the making of the musical Sensation of 1921 and all that followed. Yeah. There we Good go. Good one. Thanks. Perfect take. That was off the top of my head that time. Hey, Dan. How are you doing? Great. Happy I'm- to hear it. Welcome back to the Unauthorized Critics oh. Circle. Today we're talking about Shuffle Along. Is it going to be like that this episode? Uh, no, shut up, Dan. Uh, where do you think we should start? Oh, do you think we should start right with the second song of the show? Sure, that works for me. So let's go through this. The very first song in the show after the opening number, I'm going to read you some of these lyrics. Now uh-huh. listen, fo- No, please. Now listen, folks. Laying aside all jokes, honestly, I'm not kidding you. We know a man whose name is Dan, and the gals hey. go wild about him. Yes, they don't know what well, to do. Now... Well. Shuffle Along was your pick. By any chance, does this have anything to do with it? I forgot this song was in this show. Mm, is that true? You forgot the song was in the show. I forgot the song was in the show. Mm-hmm, I'm so sure. You forgot that the song just began by singing the praises of affectionate Dan? Well, I am very affectionate to people who deserve it, unlike you. I've got your number, Daniel. I didn't remember the song was in the mm-hmm. show. I just, I'm just wild about it. This is Harry. part of your brainwashing attempt to try to get me to subliminally brainwashing. assume that you are a decent brainwashing. person. Brainwashing? I am a decent person, you bastard. <laughs> affectionate Dan, everyone. I am affectionate. You're just too awful to deserve it. Welcome back to the Unauthorized Critic Circle. For real, folks. We hope you enjoyed our diversion with critics live. And we will be doing a couple more of those episodes. We have other shows that we did see. Um, and uh, we have more shows together, in the future we that we're planning so. to both see. Yes. Yes. So critics live is not um, the current episode, but we're back to our regularly returning. scheduled program talking about Shuffle Along or the making of the musical sensation of 1921 and all that followed. Say that again. What? You mean Shuffle Along or the making of the musical sensation of 1921 and all that followed? Yep. Say that five times fast. 
Shuffle along, we're making the musical sensation of 1921 and all that follows. Shuffle along, we're making the musical sensation of 1921 and all that follows. Shuffle along, we're the making of the musical sensation yeah. of 1921. Shuffle along, we're the making of the musical sensation of 1921 and all that follows. Shuffle along, we're the making of the musical sensation of 1921 and all that follows. Listen, everybody, my preacher didn't hear. Do you want to see Crazy Lady fall apart in front of you? It isn't That's the, the wrong show. Dan. By any chance, what happened to be your familiarity with Shuffle Along or the making of the musical sensation of 1921 and all that followed? Um, I had watched a video, not the one that we watched on this episode, but I had watched a video before. Cool. Did you, did, there are um, a couple from previews. Do you know if you saw it in previews? No, I saw Audra when she was even more pregnant. Ooh, fun. Yeah, yeah, it looked like that baby was just, she was going to kick and the baby was going to whoosh! And <laughs> would have been an entertaining birth. Right. <laughs> oh, goodness. And, oh, and of course, I mean, who doesn't know? I'm just wild about Harry, and he's just wild about me. I was very familiar with that song, but that's a standard. Everyone loves the standards. What was your familiarity? With what? Shuffle along with the making of the musical in 1921 and the stuff that followed. 90% accuracy. Gotta hand that to you. Um, okay. This is a I, I show... I wasn't looking at a paper. I've been like I've you. been wanting to talk about this show since, like, the early days of the podcast. Like, this is really a show that I have been dying to experience for so, so, so long. I've been so intrigued by sort of the quickness of this show I'd, I, I'd heard so much about its brilliance and how it was just truly a magnificent piece of theater and then heard that it like died out in the span of a, of a few months no. I I heard it was sort of due to a series of cataclysms but I mm, I really. just always been so curious about this show and I've been wanting to watch it for such a long time and I'm glad that we finally were able to carve out some time here of that quick uh Closing. Yeah, do you want to start there? Sure. Allegedly, what had happened? Audra was always going to miss a couple of weeks, I believe it was like five or eight weeks, to go to Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill in London. And early on in the run, Ms. McDonald thought she was going through the change of life. And she went to the doctor. <laughs> the doctor was like, oh, well, this is a change, but it's not that change. You're three months pregnant. Wow. Tap dancing increases fertility, I believe, was the phrase that she <laughs> said. Uh, <laughs> what a good line. <laughs> and our dear friend, Heart of Gold, song in his pocket. <laughs> Scott Rudin. Oh, oh, God. Realized she was going to be out more than five weeks. And he saw an opening to cash in on an insurance policy if he closed the show. Oh, so he closed the show. He claimed it was because Audra got pregnant and lied to him or something allegedly i don't know all the details but he wanted to claim insurance then the insurance company again allegedly was going through her garbage trying to find evidence that she, she knew she was had, pregnant she knew she was pregnant when they signed her up for insurance and didn't tell them it became a whole legal matter that she should have never been put through uh what a fucking so, disaster yeah, it closed early to um, collect on insurance money because 
why keep a show open and why keep people employed when you can cash out quick? Yeah, it's not like this show has anything to do with the employment of black artists. It's not like that's, right. you know... Not like the, the show is about they won't remember the you. Yeah, not like the show's about they won't remember you and then they don't give you a cast album. So it's mm. kind of hard to remember you. Thank <laughs> goodness for that one YouTube video of a couple of the songs recorded for Tony consideration. Well, but that's for people with money. Mm. That was made so that the people with the money would give them votes. Mm-hmm. And then that was made for you and I. Speaking of votes, do you know how many nominations the show got? The show got, I believe, the number is ten nominations. Mm-hmm. And uh, what? How many did they win? <sighs> well, they won zero. Yeah, and why? Ooh, Hamilton Pretty. Vote for Hamilton. Yep. This had the misfortune of being in the same season as Hamilton. And let me tell you, they were still absolutely robbed on costume design and choreography. I am not hard-pressed to disagree. What a, what, what a remarkable piece of art uh, Shuffle Along or the making of the musical sensation of 1921 and all that followed is uh, it, for me what is so interesting about this show is having a show that serves not just as a spectacular work of art but a loving homage to a work of art that set such a crucial precedent in history this entire musical is a love letter to a musical and i think over and out the main thing that this show tries to accomplish is to give it that due. And I think, without question, it excels at that. Watching it today, I thought, yeah, it's a history lesson, and it's pretty much the extent of it is that it is a history lesson. Yes. But what an entertaining history lesson. It's a, it's a history lesson that gets you so passionate about what's being taught. You know, you mm -hmm. have, a, even comparing it to the same season, you have... A piece of American history with Hamilton. You have a piece of theatrical history with Shuffle Along. Something that Hamilton does is it sort of takes the history and it spins it in a new direction to find an alternate method of engagement. And here, with Shuffle Along, or the making of the musical sensation of 1921 and all that followed, you're actually taking the original material. Well, I, I mean, yes, it is taking the actual historical material. I don't know why Hamilton didn't use the um, original Hamilton's polka that right? Hamilton wrote right yeah. after the... Um, federalist papers huge missed opportunity right there thank right. god at least we got Weird right. Al to cover it <laughs> no but what i'm saying using the original cicel and blake music like telling your story with the well, original material it's so, also so but it's also not like we remember what shuffle along was yeah true but the fact that in telling this story they figured the best way to pay homage to this work of art is to pay homage to the work of art. 
Well, I don't know what the alternative would have been. I mean, they use the material well, I think is the point, rather than they use the material. Uh, you're going to it's do... It's like they, they use the material sort of like outside of that original context. They could have got some composer to go like, oh yeah, we'll use some of the songs and then uh, to demonstrate how these people are feeling, we'll put in a couple numbers, something like that. But no, it's like they kind of made it a shuffle along jukebox musical in a way. Well, yeah, they change context, but I mean, if you're going to make a musical about Oklahoma and the making of Oklahoma of 1943 and all that followed, you're not going to go to Eddie Perfect and say, we need a new score. Well, no, but I would think you'd intersperse original Oklahoma music and then, like, for new invented character beats you would probably get some kind of new composer i wouldn't like or even with something like the rogers and hammerstein catalog which is so beloved so like you know so much of an iconograph sure you would think okay well what songs do we have at our disposal we can toss it in that kind of thing here it it it, it, it well, feels they, like a they threw in other cecil and blake songs in the show yeah of course it's so it's like it's like a kind of jukebox musical in that sense of using those original artists music using the music from the creators of shuffle along sure so then is the question why does this jukebox musical not suck and musical (laughs) jukebox musicals absolutely suck i just think particularly here it's much cooler to see rather than you know i don't know a britney spears jukebox musical sure everyone knows the britney spears music musicals whatever you're going into this and the audience isn't inherently knowing the Cicel and Blake song, so there's not any audience expectation for them. Mm-hmm. And so to still go, like, you know, look for them, to work them into the material, to actually craft them dramaturgically to, to work here, it, it deepens the authenticity of the tribute to me. Sure. That was, that was one of the things I admired most about the show overall how much love and respect and honor there was paid throughout the entire evening. Well, I think that's the point of this show. Absolutely. Some shows try to do that and are much less successful. I don't know. You look at all these jukebox bio musicals. You look at your Jersey Boys and you look at your Tinas and you look at your shows of that accord. Oh, no. (laughs) Relax. It's fine. And We'll get there. And the songs... the, The usage of the songs there don't feel so much as tributes as they feel like checklist things, right? It doesn't feel like the usage of the music is doing anything to actually showcase a deeper respect for the artist at hand. It's just sort of, oh yeah, here's this song, and this one too, and here. I think what you're talking about is beautiful, where they just shoehorn in a whole other artist's catalog so that the show can have more hits. Yes, that's exactly it. That is exactly okay. it. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, Carol King wrote some songs with Vile and her husband, but I mean, Carol King didn't have enough good songs that you had to go and get other people's songs that she didn't write and put it in the show. I think it would have been easy like, for a show like this to have a composer. I think it would have been the easy move to say, okay, yeah, we'll use the songs from Shuffle Along and then we'll fill in the gaps with some other material and we'll write some songs for these characters to sing about how they're feeling about making the show. Well, yeah, but I'm sure there was some musical material that was written for the show. 
Maybe it would have been lightly spruced up, but the fact of the matter is that the credited composers are Cecil and Blake. Of course, it's entirely new book, obviously, but By to be C. able Wolf. to produce a show in 2016 and really try to, you know, make a hit show that says music and lyrics by Cecil and Blake on it. Well, UB was a review of UB Blake's material. That was a hit in the 70s. Oh, I hadn't heard about that. That was 78, I want to say. It, it It's overall what this show attempts to do is cement an important legacy. Right? It's yeah. a history lesson for something that has been so untouched, undiscovered. You know, it's sort of like if our last episode was Trouble in Mind. It This feels like if someone had written a play talking about trouble in mind in 1957 you know Mm -hmm. and i found it so remarkably well done done with so much love so much affection so much care and that really understood the weight and the value and the importance of this show as a historical event i think what this show does best better than anything else that it does it understands when the audience needs to be entertained and it understands how musicals uh operate Mm -hmm. so you're going to have one line that's kind of dry and a bit of historical fact and then you're going to bring on people that are singing yeah and then they're going to stop singing there's going to be another fact and they're going to start singing again i mean it's very digestible this you put all these facts down and you remove the music and you remove the show. It's a very dry book, not book of a musical, but just history book that Oxford press published. And it's sure. some 300 page treaties on the show. And it's very interesting for people who are completely on the inside, uh, hopeless theater nerds like me, uh, <laughs> but you know it's that's what i mean by history lesson but it's made in a way that is easily accessible that seems um contemporary and the effect it has is then you are watching a show that talks about a musical and then the musical is going look how strong this material is Mm-hmm. It's not just telling you, and yes, like, it's not telling you how important it was or how great it was at the time. You, the audience member, are having a great time with this material yourselves. It seems to show off the good parts of the original material to the best of its advantage. Absolutely, and that is the best tribute to a musical I could ask for. You know what I saw suggested that I think really might be the best thing to do with this property um no i saw someone suggest this is a mini series mm. on tv sure like an fx kind of thing Mm-hmm. yeah like a fossey verdon only good <laughs> she has strong opinions today everybody <laughs> she has some strong opinions <laughs> i'm 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 here for it i'm here because the show opened and it was over three hours long and mm. they cut some things down and I believe when they cut things down everyone agreed it made the show um more digestible 
more digestible, but also you lost some historical bits that people actually liked and kind of, if you were going to cut some things, they understood why they were cut, but also they would still like to see it. So I did see someone suggest this really deserved to be a miniseries and... I think it would have to be a very particular kind of miniseries in that it is so... What they have created is so intrinsically a musical. And something like Fosse Verdon was a drama series with some musical numbers. Mm-hmm. So you would absolutely have to embrace that you are making a musical musical. But I could see a six-episode miniseries, especially since what I thought was missing was more of the original show. Yeah, I agree. I wanted to see another scene or two of this is directly the show Shuffle Along. It dealt more with the aura around Shuffle Along and using the songs from Shuffle Along than it actually did the underlying original material. Yeah. And and you've got me with you that this show is one that is important and one that had so much significance and i can tell from the music that you're presenting me that the material is strong i'd be interested Mm -hmm. to know what this was in 1921 what was the show Mm -hmm. we're already saying that this really did feel like a historical textbook you can lean into that i'd be interested to see like maybe 15 or so 20 minutes of like some kind of like historical recreation of the show exactly Exactly. I really love that, and I think and yeah, we benefit, did get miniseries would benefit that. Well, we did get the one uh, I'm just wild about Harry recreation, which seemed like a real recreation of that scene of that number, and it was absolute musical comedy, musical theater heaven. Watching mm-hmm. that, yeah, it was. It, let, let's talk about the book for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, have you, if you read the reviews of the show. People are going crazy for the company. People are going crazy for the music. People are going crazy for the production. And the Variety Review calls the book outright incoherent. I don't don't think it's incoherent. I think it takes some shortcuts in an effort Mm -hmm. to get the show's length down that I think... There are some moments here that they brush past that could be explored in a miniseries, like we just mentioned. Um, Let us produce this miniseries. Put us on the project, guys. Come on. What are you waiting for? (laughs) Well, good luck wrestling the rights from Scott Rudin. So that's the end of this show, then? Well, yeah. It's not licensed. That is the other thing. You can't license Shuffle. You can... Do the original Shuffle Along, but Shuffle Along, the making of the musical sensation of 1921 and all that followed. You can't license that. And Did that you, were is you looking a at real that? shame. Yes, I was looking at that. Oh, okay. I, 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 and I still I missed Or. That's okay. <laughs> you can't license it. And I think that's a damn shame. I yeah. don't think it's necessarily... I don't know, I would have liked to see a national tour, although it would have been an expensive show to tour. But there's no reason why this isn't licensable for some regional theater to pick this up and produce it. Frankly, we we mentioned this briefly, one of the, one of the biggest things this show argues 
is the importance of creating work for black artists mm-hmm. and you know creating work that they can be proud of that represents them correctly and that pays homage and tribute to them and this is a brilliant example of a show that could do that this in any season would be just a remarkable gift and the fact that we're missing out on that is really just embarrassing Mm -hmm. but back to the note of the book being incoherent apparently there are some dramatic scenes i think there's one dramatic scene that really works uh Uh it doesn't get into the interpersonal relationships the way a normal play or musical would and I think part of that is because it knows it's a history lesson. Is it the yeah. strongest book in the world? No. Do I think it's a bad book? No. It has a very specific point of view, and it knows what it's getting done. It's a, it's a very brisk book, which mm-hmm. I think is perfectly met with the style of the show. Mm-hmm. It's very brisk. It's very active. It keeps a very intense pace. Well, and, and again, if a book is an overall structure of a show, this perfectly knew when to bring in the tap, when to bring in someone singing. It knew exactly when your attention was waning. And it knew when to make it stark as well. It knew when mm-hmm. to get serious, when to get dramatic, when to get heavy. Mm-hmm. You, there, there's that moment in the first act where Joshua Henry is giving that monologue about uh, being in the war. And it's the first moment that the show really goes dark and really like takes that time to be dramatic and serious and intense. Mm-hmm. And that was a remarkable effect to me. Yeah. It perfectly knew, sort of like we've been riding high this long, we can start introducing them to the less happy-go-lucky-ness of the reality here. Mm-hmm. The fact that this is the time we're living in right now. Right. Wanted to bring in reality. Yeah, absolutely. Not that reality didn't exist, but to hammer home life exists this is outside the life. of this the This is theater. our life outside. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 it's a book that I deeply appreciated, that I think was perfectly met for the material. I suppose I can understand why people might have been, I don't know, if like the the word I want to use is turned off, but even then I wouldn't necessarily say that this is a book well, that it, I can see one being turned off by. There are but... wooden lines. And sure. the question then becomes, are they wooden lines out of ineptitude or are there wooden lines because that is the show that they intentionally created? And I think that's the case. They intentionally knew it was going to be a history lesson. And with history lessons, unless you are creating some fast, expansive thing... If you are trying to get a lot of historical information within a two and a half hour format, you're going to end up with some wooden lines. And I think what the book did well is new one to counteract it. Yeah. And we've talked about George C. Wolfe before. George C. Wolfe is both the director and the book writer Mm -hmm. uh, of this show. And 
He was both the director and book writer of The Wild Party, which we talked about. Yes, exactly. And there was another example of a book that we thought was so perfectly met to the way the... Like, it was a book that was so perfectly met to the way the story was told, you know? And George C. Wolfe is an artist who really looks at that big picture of, you know, how will this book reflect the production? How will the production reflect this book? Mm -hmm. They're perfectly matched. They are... They have... you You can feel that synergy from the audience. I think that critics just don't like book writers directing their own books. And they've yeah. been told that it's just not possible to have a book writer successfully George direct C. one Wolf, of their shows. Arthur Lawrence, fucking James Lapine. Well, they liked Arthur Lawrence, but he was not... That well, they liked Arthur Lawrence until the 60s. In, in the 60s, they weren't so hot on him. Well, they, they liked... Yeah, actually, they liked him when he went back and directed his books and it was 2008 and he was in his 90s. Yeah, but... they liked him when he'd already... Yeah, when it was a new show, they hated him. I think, yep. and there is something to be said of having another voice in the room challenge you. Mm-hmm. You think Scott Rudin didn't ever challenge George C. Wolf? You think Scott Rudin was a backseat kind of guy? Yep. Just wanders into the theater. Oh, everything's going terrific. Isn't this great? We're doing a show on Broadway. I love you. Bye. Just concept of like the good ending where scott rudin is sitting in an office eating his sandwich <laughs> oh i'm sure he was sitting in his office eating a sandwich but what it took no, but, to get but that I'm sandwich too i'm saying he finishes the sandwich it never leaves his hand oh the sandwich never gets thrown yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh god scott if you're listening to us we don't have a fucking penny don't sue us <laughs> Yeah, we really don't. We don't have a fucking penny. There is something to be said to have another voice in the room, but I think it's just an easy line to put in a review that book writers should never direct their own book, and the book is always the thing that doesn't work in a musical, quote-unquote. And so, if you're going to be critical, quote-unquote, and you're going to be balanced... The first easy line you're going to put is that, oh, the director should be writing his own book. There's problems with the book, and that could have been fixed if there was a different director here to rein the book writer in. Book writers are apparently some kind of Neanderthal roaming the earth <laughs> that have to be reined in, reined back. They need to know their place. Big swing, big swing, song go here. <laughs> we need to put those fucking 2001 A Space Odyssey motherfuckers in their place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. Yeah, 2001 A Space Odyssey and the director's driving the spaceship and he's gonna make the block appear. <laughs> Overall, book was deeply effective. Told the story brilliantly. I liked how there was a it, it it worked on multiple levels it worked as these characters telling the story to the audience it worked as represent as a representation of this material it worked just dramatically with a fourth wall in front of it you know mm -hmm. and you have lines like the, the one that completely locked knocked me off my ass was billy porter 
at the end of the show, uh, talking about sort of like the where are they now section and talking about his wife and going, yes, I have a wife. And the audience laughing off their ass and Billy Porter staring at the audience for like 15 seconds fucking cold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was parts of that like that that really spoke to me about how multifaceted the show works, how many dimensions it's operating on and how successful it is at all of them. Mm-hmm. An achievement. And the score here, we briefly mentioned sort of the fact that we have a score by the original composers of Shuffle Along. But ultimately, how do you, how effective do you think the standards were used here? They were used terrifically. Like, it didn't seem... Sh- None of the songs seemed shoehorned in. Uh-huh. It didn't seem like, oh, we have to put this number here, we have to put this number here. Um, everyone's going to be expecting this song. No, it felt like the music came up really organically, and mm-hmm. the... I don't know how, but a lot of those numbers really actually move the plot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There was there was never really a number here that I thought was just deliberating. If anything, there was maybe the one number where, what was it? Um, they, ha- they were doing like a sort of potluck, and they were singing a song there that I, that uh, sort of generally about optimism that I thought felt kind of like, song for song's sake but even in the show it was framed as just a song for song's sake Mm -hmm. otherwise there was nothing here that felt out of place with the material i was really deeply surprised as the show went on realizing so there's nothing that they added here this is just the original stuff you know not even like i think maybe the the best jukebox musical of all time in my opinion in terms in terms of like dramatic structure is crazy for you and even that didn't have the score connect itself to the book so intricately as this did yeah it's well, it's, it's you think about them at the train station and mm-hmm. i mean how much work is being done by the song there and you know they're rallying the troops together and they're facing hardships but they'll get through this there are so many songs that just completely develop character mm-hmm. and especially when it's a jukebox musical that's the work of the book writer yeah the the, the strength of the book depends really heavily on the strength of the score and mm-hmm. we're seeing the work of master songwriters yeah they, they, they this is an absolute command of the the tin pan alley style you know tin pan alley now crossing over with jazz and ragtime yes which i mean tin pan alley was always ragtime but really melding the forms together rather than being strictly tin pan alley mm-hmm. uh but it's like I how love... much you said in this musical about the fact that this was the first ever jazz musical. I do love Tin Pan Alley songs. These are all exemplary songs in that style. I mean, Memories of You. Is there a better song that's been written? I mean, that's hyperbolic. But that is in the top echelon of songs that have been written for musical theater period it's not just songs from the 1920s it's just you see it now and you're like that's a song right Mm -hmm. there that is a song we should have more songs like that yeah 
gosh, this is, it's a tribute to musical theater done right, and it is classic musical theater done right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, like, uh, the only piece of material we've breached in the same style was No No Nanette, and you know I walked out of that completely nonplussed, just well, unaffected. I mean, No No Nanette was a musical from the 1920s and it was still a musical from the 1920s. Like it wasn't recontextualized. It wasn't reinvigorated. I mean, the production reinvigorated the material, but it was updated in the seventies, but it was still trying to be that show from the 1920s. This is presenting all of the mythos and history that came around the show from a modern perspective. I don't mm-hmm. think it's an easy comparison. I I just found the material here to be so interesting, so captivating, so well done, and overall, I guess, just so energetically performed. Maybe that was why it seemed so appealing to me, because it was really done with so much passion, so much energy. So let's jump over to production. We mentioned that this is directed by George Seawolf. And what a well-staged piece of theater. You can always tell when a book writer has directorial command because, yes, there are shortcomings. Sometimes when the director's a book writer, they won't be able to get that outside glance of, is this being communicated to non-personal eyes the way I want it to? Or is there something missing in the book here that I'm not picking up as a director? That kind of thing. If there's one thing that they're going to nail is that they know exactly the rhythm of their script. Mm -hmm. They they know exactly how their play needs to operate and how they write that play intending for it to be sort of taken in by that audience. And George C. Wolfe is a master at that. He has such a complete command on theatrical pacing in keeping that rhythm with his books, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. That's exactly his what his strongest suit was with The Wild Party. The fact that it was such an active show that gave you so much and still kept you so hooked throughout. It is superbly paced. I think part of what's so strong here is there's a lot of strong personalities on stage. There's a lot of stars on stage. Mm. And it could easily feel like they're each fighting for attention, not the characters, the actors, because they want to be the person remembered. They want to be the standout. Mm-hmm. This feels like an ensemble piece, and still, each person on stage feels like an individual. So a true. true individual. So true. That's a that's that can be such a downfall with ensemble pieces. When you have so many people on stage, it's hard to keep them from feeling homogenous at times. Or, you know, having to spin so many plates in terms of characters that some end up feeling underdeveloped or underused or sort of blander. Mm-hmm. Here, all of these characters are so well-defined. Like, Joshua Henry stands out from Brandon Victor Dixon, stands out from Brian Stokes Mitchell, stands out from Billy Porter, stands out from Audrey McDonald. Yep. It's uh, yeah, it's it's nice to see a production have that much grasp on 
the dramatic intent of the play, which, you know, of course. Well, and there's just, the production knows that it's evoking an era of old Broadway, knows the old Broadway tricks. I mean, you think about that car and it doesn't look like an actual car, nor did they need an actual car coming on stage. But the guy in the flat with the car comes on and all of the guys hop on the car and they're singing as the car pulls them off stage and the audience goes absolutely wild. And it's something that's identifiable. It's all a trope of old Broadway, but it's done to the utmost degree and it is perfectly placed. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the visual images that pop through this show. Billy Porter finally has his big solo number and he's right there and there's the lamppost and there's a guy dancing in the corner. I mean, it's well done evoking of iconic imagery. Yeah. And and within this production, we have choreography by Savion Glover. Well, you think of Savion Glover and you remember him. I, I seem to remember him from Sesame Street tapping with Elmo. I don't know about you. He is this tap personality. He's, you think of all of the shows that he's appeared on tapping. And mm-hmm. I think he even was in a Barbra Streisand concert, right? Her timeless yes, concert. Yes, I know better was, than you. He was in her timeless concert tapping in the new year. Uh, not just new year, new millennium. And so you, you, you go to Savion Glover and you expect some terrific tapping. Or you hear that Savion Glover is choreographing. You're expecting some really terrific tapping. And it is. It's some of the best tap numbers that have ever been on Broadway, at least as long as I've been alive. What is great about the choreography is it's not just tapping. There's a perfect little soft shoe that Audra does with Brandon Victor Dixon, which is oh, yeah. it starts as a soft shoe, but turns into a little personality number for the two of them. There's regular dancing, too, other than the tapping. There's just so many different styles that are apparent here, and none of it is trickery. There are no Newsy Flips. There aren't a bunch of extra props. I mean, Newsy Flips are good when appropriate. Props are good when appropriate. This is just old-fashioned dancing and perfectly done old-fashioned dancing. And when they finally have a group of guys then going into the splits, it's not a death drop. They just drop into the splits. And it's at the very end of the show. The entire show has led up to that moment. Just really superbly done. Such craftsmanship. It's such enthusiastic choreography. And it has so much life, so much skill to it. And really brings this energy to such an explosive level. The show is already operating at such a brisk pace. With such exciting music. With such emphatic lines, such emphatic performances. That this choreography so brilliantly meets the mark of all that energy. It feels as chaotically glorious as this entire musical feels to me. Mm-hmm. It, it's a, it, it lets the performers display really dazzling feats. I mean, I, I messaged you when that soft shoe was happening. It's just so brilliantly showcasing Brandon Victor Dixon's 
control over his legs and the way his entire body sort of melded to the tone of the song and the movements of his of his feet well and it's always a surprise to see audra dance (laughs) to see audra dance to see audra dance pregnant well i mean and we remember everyone saw that tony ward performance of porgy and bess oh audra's really dancing with the rest of the cast and she is holding her own as a dancer and then you forget and then once again here she is dancing and dancing terrifically and holding her own with the rest of the cast and i don't know it's not something that you typically expect from a juilliard voice graduate (laughs) there aren't many ballet classes in the vocal program at juilliard let me say that (laughs) there really wasn't a bum dancer on stage they were all given dance pieces you don't really expect Everyone. stokes you don't really expect brian stokes mitchell to dance that much he dances terrifically. yeah you're you're sure billy porter can dance adrian warren can dance even brandon victor Dixon. sure he dances joshua henry dances but audra and brian stokes mitchell and amber iman wow everyone here is operating at such an a mm-hmm. this entire presentation is just up to such a high standard even looking at these designs how grand and glorious and gorgeous they are this feels like one of the kinds of shows you can really only catch on broadway yeah well, the scale is somehow immense it's... and the designs um the set design isn't what we would think of as set design for a modern show but it's not a modern show it's evoking an older-fashioned version of show business and it evokes that older-fashioned show business perfectly the costume designs are really terrific really catches the eye perfect use of color um always knows exactly where the star is and design wise what color to put the star in comparison to the ensemble so that the eye is always on the star Uh, the costumes looked flattering on just about everybody including just about well just about is because they weren't designed for a pregnant audra but that's nothing to hold against anybody even still i think it really pulled it off there there was one moment that made me laugh a little bit where Audra's there and she's holding this feather boa and she's always standing in such a way with the boa draped over her that she's like perfectly covering <laughs> the bump. That was, it, 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 it felt like such a great hearkening back to like star presentation, you know? Yeah. Like that's, if I can use a much, much uglier example, not to conflate this or relate this to Audra, it's like in the vein of Michael Crawford and the turkey gel. It's oh. like taking that time, considering with the star, how can we present you in the best light? Again, really not to conflate the two. <laughs> <laughs> Although... It's the theatrical equivalent I to Starlighting. I would see Audra be Count von Krolach in a <laughs> fucking second. Have her sing Total Eclipse of the Heart it's called with another woman. Love, Bring out the lesbian context of vampires. Ooh, that is what the show needs, actually, yes. <laughs> lesbian vampires. 
Lesbian Wait, vampires. I'm sure. Isn't that a oh, show oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, the vampire, lesbians, and Sodom. It's a Charles Bush play. Yeah, fun. Let's get Audra in that. I think we're going to be covering it, actually. Oh, seriously? On this podcast, yeah. I know absolutely nothing about it. Oh, it's terrific. You're going to like it. Overall, the I find the production is such a harmonious match to its magnificent material. Mm-hmm. And as if that weren't enough, the show starts with a song sung by Joshua Henry and Billy Porter and Brian Stokes Mitchell and Brandon Victor Dixon and Audra McDonald and Amber Mon and Adrienne Warren. And I am sitting there with my jaw dropped going, what fucking cataclysmic event in New York theatrical history allowed this? My God, can you imagine, like, what a mind-blowingly quality cast. Mm-hmm. Let, 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 let's break it down here. Let's go through this company. Let's talk about these legends of theater. Do you want to talk about the elephant in the room? What? Your what elephant in the room, I should say. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. I'm really quickly hopping behind my little bulletproof wall here. Dan, mm-hmm. can you can you can you hear me behind this? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, this show features Adrienne Warren. <laughs> oh, she manages to show up. That's nice. Go into it. <laughs> so, Adrienne Warren probably reopens, and she has won the Tony for Tina. We knew she was going to win the Tony for Tina. Tony and Tina had a wedding, and you, yeah. so i get a ticket i'm very excited to see adrian warren and tina i checked i made sure i had not a performance that the alternate was going to be on i checked several different times several different places adrian warren is going to be on okay okay morning of I get a message. Dan, I'm so sorry. And someone had messaged me. <laughs> the night before, Adrian Warren had called off Act 2 of Tina. She was in Act 1, realized things were, I don't know, but she was not there for Act 2. And they were saying, well, maybe she'll still be on today when you're going. Sure enough, she was not on. And I was at the one performance of Tina after Broadway reopened that Adrienne Warren fully missed. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, Adrienne Warren must have been the equivalent of Jesus resurrecting and coming to a Broadway stage in a musical because if she won a Tony Award for that piece of total dreck that was Tina the Musical, seriously, about the worst show I have ever seen, and I am not being hyperbolic. I 100% mean Tina was about the worst show I have seen in my life. Tina was a show that didn't have guts enough to be terrible. 
And that was the real problem. It didn't have guts enough to be terrible. It just felt like a manipulation. It... I can't waste any more time on Tina. Tina was just the absolute pits. Adrian Warren was not there. That was the one reason I was going to this show. On top of that, the staff at the Luntfontein Theater was an absolute disaster. They are nasty, nasty people who do not know what they are doing. I mean, I got my ticket through audience rewards. It was very kind. I was, I actually can be kind. I went up to the box office to pick up my ticket. They had never printed the ticket and they decided because they hadn't printed a ticket I should be blamed and I should have some kind of attitude given towards me I bought the ticket weeks ago you didn't print it why am I getting an attitude I go upstairs to my seat they show me to the wrong seat and then minutes before they move half of the audience because half of the audience is in the wrong place I mean just I, the show is awful and on top of that to have the theater staff be just nasty people it, uh, save your money and watch what's love got to do with it. Okay, there's my spiel. Yeah, but tell us how you really feel. Save your money and watch what's love got to do with it. Okay, gotcha. It's on cable. Until... Right now? I'm, uh, probably. Probably. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> so, the... the Adrian Warren and the fact that uh, the fact that I used my audience rewards points I had bet Midler hello Dolly points in that ticket and that's where it led up to it led up to that oh baby so suffice it to say Adrian Warren does not necessarily stir up happy excuse me I, I I'm going I'm I'm jumping out of a window bye oh okay see ya you okay Oh, wow. Really committing to it. Let me know if you land good. Do a flip! I couldn't do it. Oh. So, oh, no. all this to say, Adrian Warren doesn't necessarily stir happy memories within you. No. Of course, absolutely nothing on Adrian Warren's part to stress. All that considered, what did you make of her performance here? She was fine. Okay. Um, I actually particularly loved her. The role was, you know, kind of in the supporting area and didn't necessarily have much dramatic credence. But I thought whenever she was on stage, you got every single ounce of how brilliant a performer she was. She inhabited so many different personalities, so many different styles of singing such a range of emotion and class and it showcased how strong of a performer she was but i'm tiring you out um um let's hop now to one half of our composing duo here let's jump to joshua henry i saw joshua henry and violet joshua henry showed up oh nice i saw him in tick tick boom well, I, we saw that was a movie. He shows up. Yeah, yeah but I saw him in it. <laughs> Were you saying movies aren't real art, Dan? I loved Joshua Henry. So uh, it was a very... Did you really accuse me of saying movies aren't art? You've seen my letterbox. <laughs> I've seen, like, quadruple the amount of movies you've seen. I'm a cityast. 
Maybe you've gotten tired of them. You've seen too many. This is a problem with life. You'll get there one day. Overindulgence is such a problem, dude. Joshua Henry is just terrific here. Great voice, great Top presence. Point. He's doing a care. He's doing a little bit of an impression, right? Well, yeah, it 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 yeah, it is, and to and to a certain extent, Brandon Victor Dixon also is. Yeah, and I think both of them work. Both of yes. them, the impressions are good. They're well crafted characters. Mm hmm. Over anything. God, doesn't he have such a miraculous stage presence? Such a stage presence. Such a stage presence. He has this million-watt smile that just makes you completely bowl over to him. He's really one of the most multi-talented performers we have in theater right now. This is a role that's so perfectly suited to him. It is a dazzling representation of what makes him such a star... His range, not just as a performer, but as a character actor, as a dancer, as a vocalist, it's it's another very multifaceted role, you know. Mm-hmm. It's 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 not often you see um, a leading man like Joshua Henry thrown into a character of this extent, you know, like a character actor performance, and it's a home run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't say enough great about this performance. And he's matched with Brandon Victor Dixon, who we've already sung the praise of him just in our choreography section, but what a what a touching performance. Joshua Henry's character portrays this bravado mixed with this sort of like, you know, very stark emotionality. Brandon Victor Dixon is playing someone so emotional and someone so vulnerable yeah he's so emotive he's so expressive he's so heartfelt and he just he 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 gives like a kind of puppy dog of a performance he's very endearing he's very likable i think he's maybe the character that suffered the most from the show not being longer possibly did you find the the subplot with Audra to be sort of underdeveloped? It wasn't the subplot with Audra. It's that we never really got any kind of push-pull about his wife. Yeah, possibly. That's what seemed... He didn't seem conflicted much about having the affair with Audra's character. And... I can get that. Not that people absolutely should feel terrible if they have an affair, but if that is the case, <laughs> show us why that's the case. And the show just wasn't long enough to uh, It's okay bring sometimes to have an affair. It is. Uh, yeah. I didn't know this, but looking in now, he's a Tony winner for producing the revival of Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Oh? Yeah. Huh. I... Did not think that's what it would have been. <laughs> he produced the Of Mice and Men revival. He produced A Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And I believe he's also listed as a lower-end producer of Moulin Rouge. He's received a couple Tony noms. He's been up for... The Color uh, Purple, and he's been up for... He was nominated for Shuffle Along. He was one of... Two acting nominations that this show received. Right. 
and that was for best featured actor. And uh-huh. you know, in in the battle, like up between Joshua Henry and Brandon Victor Dixon, I do completely understand why Brandon was the one he, who was given. Um, personally, I think my heart would lean a little bit more towards Joshua Henry, just in terms of how technically profound I found the performance. But Brandon Victor Dixon was so lovable and so endearing and so heartfelt on that stage that I'm not the least bit surprised at what I consider a well-deserved nomination. Mm-hmm. You know who didn't get nominated? Who? Audra fucking McDonald. We continue our tradition on the unauthorized critic circle of covering Audra McDonald performances that were not even nominated for Tony Awards. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a what a shanda. What a shanda on the fucking Tony voters. Who is nominated? That was Cynthia Erivo, Laura Benatti, Carmen Cusack, Jesse Mueller, and Philippa Sue. Philippa Sue was in a supporting role. It's a gridlocked category, but fuck, just get just nominate six people. Shit. <laughs> like <laughs> They did two years later. Audrey McDonald's performance here is flawless. And how pregnant is she? Deeply. So Deeply pregnant. pregnant. So, so, so incredibly pregnant. I I I I don't know I, how I, she does it. I am not exaggerating at all. I think that this performance is perfect. It is. It is pretty perfect. And it's not... Well, I mean, it's not the character we expect Audra to play. Every time Audra comes to the stage, she's a different character that you don't expect her to play. I mean, just two years before this, she was doing Billie Holiday, and no one expected her to get Billie Holiday to such a degree. Uh And she's... It's just a delight. Five months pregnant, Daniel. And Five by the months. end, by the end of the show, wasn't she like six or seven months? She was like yeah. last trimester. She was like on the fourth trimester, right? I think there's three. No, I don't do math. I thought they were famously like five trimesters. She's on the fourth trimester by you, the you, end of the please, run. Please, try. Try, Mester. Try. Well, because you have to try and get the baby out at the end. No, no. That's not a Y. It's an I. Um, Triangle. I'll try anything once. Triple. Three. Tri-state area. The tri-state area. Triathlon. Yeah, that's New Jersey. That is New Jersey. That is... uh, We're getting out of... We're getting out of... Connecticut. Audrey McDonald has a... Has one of the most a little bit of Pennsylvania. Spectac- Shut up! One of the most spectacular acting performances I've seen in a musical. Her voice is absolute top notch. She's dancing, giving her baby fucking shaken baby syndrome, and it's a complete one hundred percent committed performance. I'm sitting there going like, how is she not constantly thinking thinking about the thing moving around in her belly? How can you well, get maybe that she level was, of but you didn't see it. Exactly. Exactly. You couldn't possibly tell that there was any other thing in the world but her character. Mm-hmm. That is the mark of a master actor. I really think Audra McDonald is one of the masters of the theater that we'll ever see. Well, I mean, she's won how many Tonys at this point? That isn't to be debated. That's just a fact. Yeah. The sky yeah. is blue and... One, 
two is two, grass is green and sky is blue. It's it's perfect. Um, and Audra and showed up when I went to see Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill. She showed up? She showed up. That's awesome. Congrats. And next, I want to talk about Brian Stokes Mitchell. Is this the first time we've covered him on the podcast? <laughs> we are trash people. <laughs> yeah. We are trash fucking people. I mean, how many times have we covered 60, Rosie O'Donnell? 70-something. Who fucking who knows how many? No, this is like 58... <laughs> 57 or 58 or something episodes we haven't touched brian stokes mitchell one of the greatest voices in musical theater history yeah you know it just so happens this past week i don't know why i hadn't had on my spotify this entire time but i just recently added the impossible dream to my spotify and i've listened to it like 10 times in the past week it is why What's going on in your life? <laughs> What's going on? It's literally for nothing challenge? other than hearing Brian Stokes Mitchell's golden chords navigate that melody. It is literally for no other okay. reason. Okay. It is, don't read into that psychologically. <laughs> it's just, he is, have you seen Brian Stokes Mitchell live? I have not. I've seen Brian Stokes Mitchell live. He performed a concert at uh, Lincoln Center. Oh, and he showed up. That's nice. He was a, well, I should hope so. It was a solo concert. He did a concert in 2021 at the Lincoln Center. Uh, tickets were given out on a, on a lottery basis. I never would have won. I am yeah. famously trash and never win ticket lotteries ever. Mm-hmm. Broadway yeah. hates me. Hey. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I saw him live. He has, his voice is the, the kind you dream about. That's, those are the only words I could phrase to do service to Brian Stokes Mitchell as a singer. He doesn't need to be as good of an actor as he is. But he is. He's everything you want from a leading man on Broadway. Yeah. Literally everything. There is nothing that Brian Stokes Mitchell is missing as a performer. He has a great voice. Uh, he's a fantastic actor. You don't really expect him to dance. He dances terrifically in this show. Yeah. He's a centering presence for the entire show. Completely. And he's, I find, very well complimented by Billy Porter. Because what Brian Stokes Mitchell brings to this clarity and this presence, Billy Porter brings out in expression and in bombasticness and in real fucking spotlight grabbiness thingy. I don't know. You get what I'm going for. Billy Porter is someone who I find better expressed through gestures than words. I saw Kinky Boots and Billy Porter showed up. Wow, that's good. Mm -hmm. Billy Porter has not shown up for any show I've seen. Did you ever buy tickets for something that Billy Porter was in? Well, no, so why should he have showed up? Okay. I thought Billy Porter was the best performance in the show. I won't begrudge you that. He, what 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 sounded that for you? Number one, I think his eleven o'clock number is the best moment. There's such anger. There's such frustration. It's just so lived in. Like there's resentment of a lifetime that <laughs> goes into that number. Good vocals. 
he really, I mean, we've talked about this person can dance, this person can dance. Billy Porter is a real triple threat. You can see that he can absolutely dance as good as any of those ensemble dancers. There's such brilliant characterization. And the one dramatic scene that I found to be the most potent was him and Brian Stokes and Mitchell when Billy Porter tells him I'm moving to Africa. Mm-hmm. Hey, that was just someone who's had it. Someone who has had it. And although he had it, us, the audience, can't get enough. The most admirable thing about Billy Porter as a performer is that he is incapable of not giving you his absolute truest, most real, lay-it-out-on-the-line self. Every single ounce of himself goes into his characters. And it makes a performance so glorious gives you so much to tether onto. There's so much heart. There's so much energy. There's so much enthusiasm. There's so much presence. It, it, he's one of the most exciting actors to see, you know? Even whether it's on stage or on screen, he's still able to bring that excitement to pre-recorded mediums, which is so rare. Mm-hmm. And it speaks to not just how talented of a performer Billy Porter is in his craft, shows you how much of him that is as a person. He is a theatrical spirit. And there's not too many of those that are really palpable on Broadway. Well, you just gave him the name of the autobiography that was just published. He needs to go back and reprint it. Billy Porter, <laughs> theatrical spirit! <laughs> He's a joy to watch. Absolute joy to watch. Absolutely. Absolutely. He should be in every show. Yep, every show. I don't know every I said that show. first and realized it afterward. Yep, I yeah. agree. <laughs> you know what isn't such a joy to watch? Yes, I do. This, this video. This video. This video. Wow, what a headache. Oh, listen. Oh, baby. Listen, it is a good picture it's a very good quality and it seems it like a very in, nice camera very well it's an it's a good camera and it there's no like sh kind of shakiness that you get with a lot of bootlegs when you're standing on that one image stabilization is good color is good picture is good the operator must have been having a tough week because this is just such a mess oh boy uh there are a number of dropouts. For those of you that don't know, dropout is literally when it looks like they drop the camera. And so what you're seeing is black and not the stage. You're just seeing total darkness. Uh, there are a number of dropouts, not just a couple. It's pretty consistent. And it happens at pretty important moments. There was a dropout during I'm Just Wild About Harry. It's the one song everyone comes to the show knowing and expecting to see. And it's the pinnacle of the show. And some of it's missing. And beyond those dropouts, which are incredibly disappointing, I mean... There's usually a couple, and you have to allow for a couple normally. There are more than just a couple here. There are more than really should be. Beyond that, starting in Act 2, halfway through Act 2, 
the camera operator decides they really like the zoom function. And I have to be honest, I'm not a fan. It's a newer style of video where everything is zoomed in. I don't like videos that are zoomed in much. It's that specific scene we were just talking about. Billy Porter's moving to Africa, and there's Brian Stokes Mitchell on one side of the stage. On the other side of the stage is Audra McDonald, and she's breaking up with Brandon Victor Dixon. And the filmer gets... All four people in the same frame, and it's perfect quality. But this is not enough for this person. This person needs to zoom <laughs> in. Zoom in. And the version of them zooming in is they zoom in really, really far, and then they realize it's too far. So then they pull back, but then they pull back, they think a little too much, and so then they bring it to some kind of medium, and then, oh, now, because the two scenes are intercut, now they have to move over to Billy Porter and Brian Stokes Mitchell and oh well, we're gonna now it's we'll zoom out we'll zoom way in now meet a happy minimum I got seasick yeah I got seasick because it was that zoo zoo I mean it, it was if, just like we're not talking Wayne's World extreme close up but like not actually far off yeah it was it just there were so many dropouts. The zooms were so erratic. It really... The picture was good, but it was such a difficult viewing experience. Mm-hmm. Like, there was never necessarily anything that I felt like, oh, I'm really, really missing something. There were maybe one or two moments where I was pissed that I was not getting as much as I wanted in the moments. But I was okay with the dropouts. It's just that there were so many so frequently... It was kind of a mess. I I don't know. I'm gonna gi- I'm gonna be generous and give the video a B minus. I'd give it a C plus. And it's, I mean, it's not fun to it's, watch. Had this been 20 years earlier, we probably would have been more generous. Uh, sure. But technology has evolved. Yeah, we're like, let's look at looking at some other shows we've covered. Fuck, we covered what Drowsy Chaperone. Well, look, there are a decade other... earlier, and we said that was a perfect capture we gave that an a plus there are other captures of this show with pregnant audra that are better all, all, all that to say don't let the the difficulty of watching this particular video stop you from going out and checking out shuffle along or right. the making of the musical sensation of 1921 and all that followed it is one of the greatest love letters to theater i've ever witnessed in my life it has so much respect so much due diligence for this landmark event in history. And, you know, coming out of it, you feel like you know something that you were always meant to know, you know? This is the kind of show that I think should be up there with Showboat and Oklahoma for these pieces of innovation in theatrical history. Something like Shuffle Along, which was the definitive landmark event for black representation on Broadway, both on stage and backstage. This is the kind of show that should be ubiquitous. This should be so known. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, listener, please start your learning experience with the show. Where's the cast album? Where the fuck is... I'm grabbing the microphone right now. Where the fuck is the cast album? Give it to us. We need it. We want it. It's what's right. Let go, Scott. Let go.
So thank you for showing up to this podcast. We continually show up. Uh, what's next week? Good question, Dan. Uh, thank you for asking it. It is a question that you happened to ask uh, while we were recording this episode. Um, it is about a week or two later, and I realized that the episode we were going to talk about has changed. Um, and as much as I would love to be sort of having this discussion with you in the moment, you are presently asleep. Uh, what's happening is I'm, I'm, I'm editing the episode, and I'm just about done. And I'm coming to the end of it and realizing that the episode that we're uh, introducing is not actually the episode that we're covering next week. So I'm recording a little patch at uh, about one in the morning when Dan is fully asleep. So <laughs> I'm coming on and doing this little emergency patch on an episode because you know what? Sometimes with a podcast, you sort of just p- got to put it together with a little elbow grease. Um, shush. For those wondering... Uh, those, Dan, I'm sorry, I'm speaking to you, Dan, who's sort of sit- sitting in stunned anticipation and silence until I say the name of the next show we're covering. Uh, we are talking about the Lynn Nottage play, Intimate Apparel. Um, there was a production off-Broadway in 2004 starring Viola Davis, and we're going to watch it. I'm very excited about it. Uh, Lynn Nottage is sort of one of the playwrights of our time, and this is kind of the year of Lynn Nottage, and we are celebrating in the occasion if Dan, this is wow, this is so relaxing. <laughs> I gotta tell you, this is maybe like the first time an episode of the podcast will end without Dan singing something. Um, thank you for listening to this to the episode. Tune in next week when we talk about intimate apparel. Check it out; it's gonna be fun. We love it here on the podcast. This and this, this is so great. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unauthorized Critics Circle. Tune in next week when we talk about intimate apparel, specifically the off-Broadway production from June 5th, 2004. It's, it's It's still, Dan was supposed to get this part. I'm still here. Hi, folks. See you next week. If you enjoyed the episode, rate us, review us, and subscribe to us on your platform of choice. And if you have any recommendations, questions, or virtual flowers to send our way, email us at unccpodcast at gmail.com. The Unauthorized Critics Circle Podcast is unauthorized. The podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Shovel along with the making of the musical sensation of nice to all the following. And all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyright of the respective trademark and copyright holders. The Unauthorized Critics Circle cannot help the listener locate or distribute recordings discussed herein.